Well, I'm glad you came to church today. You glad you came? Okay, good. I'm, I'm glad because I got I, I got like 30 minutes I've been working on, so I'm glad you're happy to be here. If you're brand new, my name's Brad, and I'm the pastor, and if for some reason didn't get a chance to meet you, Laura was mentioning this, we'd love to meet you. We're always back by the doors. If you brought a friend with you, make sure you bring him back to say hi. We'd love to do that coffee thing with you at the end of the month where we sit down with you, kind of hear your story and, and just your journey and tell you a little about where we've been and where we're going. And you can just write copy on a next step card. We'll tell you about that. Where we've been going. Are you ready for this? We have been, Core Church in September is turning seven. We've been doing this for seven years now. Seven of you are, gra- are grateful for that. That's awesome. Okay. It's been that meaningful. Yeah, let me just try that again. We have been doing this for seven years, people, together, moving, celebrating hundreds and hundreds of baptisms and salvations. And so in September, we're going to be celebrating that, and we're going to have a huge celebration service. It's going to be on the first Wednesday. First Wednesday, we're going to take our core midweek, and we're going to have that be a night of praise and celebration, and you are invited to that. We're going to have food, and, and we'll have uh, programming for the kids and the youth as well, but it's, it's just going to be an amazing night for us, the first Wednesday, to just celebrate everything that God has done. Everybody is invited. Everybody is welcome to come. So uh, we are starting a brand new series today, and Eric mentioned that this is two years in the making. So two years ago, we did a little mini revival, and one of our speakers preached about Jonah, and he mentioned, he just made a mention in one of his sermons about the whale and the worm. And I was like, that is one of the greatest series titles I've ever heard of. And I I wrote it down that night, and I said, this is going to be a series. And so for two years, I've been trying to see, how are we going to do this series? What is this series going to look like? And I really believe now is the time that God wants us to do this series. It is about Jonah. I'll explain that here in just a moment. But this series is really about how do I discover and live out my God-given calling? How do I? What was that? that, I, I don't that was the bell of God right there, hallelujah. Did you, got, you guys heard it too, right? Okay, no? Okay, some, okay I, I heard a bell. All right, so that was weird. So if you have a Bible, let's go to Jonah. That was my five-minute warning right there that, Brad, you got to get going, okay? So that actually is only supposed to be in my ear if you heard it audibly, so that just keeps me on pace. Uh, if you believe that, say amen. Yeah, I don't believe it either. There is nothing, there is nothing in my ear, and there ain't no beep that's going to cause me to slow down. So uh, go to Jonah, and if you have a paper Bible, good luck finding it, because it's only four chapters. But if you're uh, on version, it's much easier to find. If you don't have version, I encourage you to download that if you don't have a Bible. And I'll, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, uh, but Jonah, if you are, some of you were raised in church, and so you know the story of Jonah and the whale. You may not know about the worm, we're going to talk about that over the next few weeks, but you may know that story, but if you weren't raised in church, you may not know the story of Jonah, so let me just give it to you in in just a short, concise way. So Jonah was a prophet of God. God told him, I want you to go to the city of Nineveh because they are a wicked people. We're going to talk about that. And Jonah runs in the opposite direction, and he goes and tries to get as far away as he can from God. God sends a storm on the ship that he's on, 
They figure out it's Jonah. He gets thrown overboard. A whale swallows him. He, he's then spit up on the land. He's freaking out. He's like, all right, I'll do it, God. Which all of us would, wouldn't you? If that is your story, you'd be like, whatever you want, God, I'm listening now. And then he goes to Nineveh and the people repent. And so we're going to be walking through this story over the next few weeks. Today, I want us to be in the first chapter of Jonah. And today we're going to talk about the boat. We're going to talk about uh, the boat. Chapter 1, verse 1, the Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of, son of Amittai, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh, announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. And, and we're going to talk about these people were, I don't even know how to describe it, they were incredibly wicked. But Jonah, he got up, he went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Hoping to escape from the Lord. That's humor in the Bible right there. Like, you, where, wherever you are, there he is. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help, and they threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hole. So the captain went down after him and he said, how can you sleep at a time like this? Get up, pray to your God. Maybe, maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you take every story in scripture and make it so relevant for us today. So today we ask that you would help us to know what it is that you want to say to us in Jesus' name. And the church said... Amen. All right, you may be seated. How many of you, by a show of hands, are uh, fans of Downton Abbey? Downton Abbey fans, raise your hand. Just keep them up. It's okay. Keep them up. All right. All right. So um, right now, I need some ushers over in this section to escort some of the men out and uh, take their man card from them because I don't know why, Chris Foster, you're watching Downton Abbey. I get it, Sarah. I know why you're watching. Laura is obsessed with this show, and she watches it nonstop. I have never seen a single episode, but I know a lot about the show. Anybody know that feeling where you've never watched it, but you're walking through the room and you pick up all this different stuff about a show? So Laura watches it like religiously all the time. I'll come into the room and I'll say, hey, could I, could I just catch the end of the game? And she's like, oh, I'm trying to get caught up. And then I found out the show ended four years ago. Four years ago. There's only six seasons. And she's still watching it, getting caught up on it. So we were at the movies uh, a couple of weeks ago. And, and then I, I saw this big, huge display. Some of you already know where I'm going with this. They have now made it into a movie. A movie. Laura made me take her picture with her mom. This is how excited she is. <laughs> I don't know why they're dressed alike, but they are, okay? so. But they're now making it into a, a movie. Now, I again, I've never seen this show, uh, but I, I know two characters on it. Violet, she's the older lady, right? Not at me if you watch the show, Violet. Okay, she's the older lady. And then there's Mr. Carson. Now, I like Mr. Carson. I don't know much about him, but I, that guy's a bad boy, man. I like that guy. I can resonate with that guy. I thought he was in charge of Downton Abbey. I thought he was the bigwig. Come to find out he's just the butler. I did not know that. I thought he was like the godfather 
of the place. Like he was like over it, like, yo, I'm in charge of this place. You know, I thought he was the main guy, which would be cool. I would watch it if it was like The Godfather. Like if it was like a mafia show instead of British accents, you know, where they're like, you know, would you walk a spot of tea? Then wouldn't it be cool if Mr. Carson was like, yo, Violet, yo, you want your tea? I got your tea right here. I would watch that show. I would watch that one. All I know about this show is one thing. They ring a bell, the servants come running, right? They ring a bell, ding, 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 ding. I hear it every week, ding, 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 ding. And the servants all scramble, and then they go, and they take whatever they need to take to the people that are up above them. When, when I think about that Downton Abbey, it, it sadly makes me think of kind of where we are at in the church today. The church today resembles Downton Abbey and in not a good way. I think so. what's happening in the church today that I see so often is that we come in and we, we ring our bell, and Jesus is expected to come running, and, and, and I tell him what I need, and then he scurries back and gets what I need, and when you go back to the servant quarters, and, and when I need you, I'm going to call upon you. And for some reason, we, we come to church or, or we, we, we pray, and the only time that we're praying or the only time we think about Jesus or we think about God is when I need to ding, 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 ring the bell. And oh, yeah, tat, tat. All right, so here's what I need. Here's what I need you to do. Now, off with you, Jesus. If you wouldn't, bring that back to me. And if he doesn't bring it quick enough, and if he doesn't bring it at all, we get ticked off at him. And I, and I just, when I think about that, I think that... Listen, Jesus is not our butler. Jesus is not our butler at our beck and call. We, we are followers of Jesus. And what it means to be a follower of Jesus, it means that we are to follow Jesus. Like, he's the one on the throne. He's the one above us. He's the one in authority. And what he asks, we are to be servants of the Most High God. If you believe that, say Amen. That's what we're called to do. But unlike Violet in Downton Abbey, God doesn't ring a bell and expect us just to come and serve at his feet, at his beck and call. He has a purpose behind it. In fact, Jesus, he said what that purpose was in Matthew 20, 28. Look what it says this right here. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others. The Son of Man, that's Jesus, the Son of God, came not not to be served, but to serve others. In other words, Jesus says, I ring the bell so that you can join me in serving and meeting the needs of those that I love and that I gave my life for. So where we're going to go in this series for the next few weeks, if you're taking notes, write this down. There's some message notes in the chair back in front of you. We are all called, we are all called and we all have a calling. We are all called. All y'all called, okay? Turn to somebody next to you and say, you're called and I'm called. We are all called and we all have a calling. In other words, you were created on purpose for a purpose. What is your purpose? Let me, I'm gonna give you two words. I want you to write this down, okay? You have a primary purpose, okay? You have a primary purpose, and you also have a personal purpose. Now, this is important. If you check out anywhere in the series, don't check out here because this is gold right here. This is good stuff right here. You, all of us, if you're a follower of Jesus, we all have the same primary purpose. And that is to take the hope, healing, peace, and purpose of Jesus into the world. 
Every single one of us, that's what we're called to do. But you also have a personal purpose. Like you, you have something that's very unique to you, a call that God has for you, a place that he is wanting to send you. I, I would say it this way. Your personal purpose involves your career and it involves a cause. I'm telling you, write this down. This is as good as it gets right here. It involves your career and it involves a cause. In other words, God has a career for you. He actually has a destiny, a place that he wants you to work and give your time and effort to to make this world a better place. He also has a cause for you, a a wrong that needs to be made right, a hurt in this world, some place where there is brokenness and injustice being done. He wants you to give your life to that. Sometimes those two things collide and become One, but you have a career and you have a cause. Your career pays you back in this life. Your cause pays you back in the life to come. So we have a primary cause and we have a personal cause. So how how do we figure that out? Like how how do we figure out what our cause is, what our call is? Like what am I supposed to do? Because let's just be honest. There's, first of all, there's all kinds of ministries you can get involved in, right? Like even inside the walls of the church, there's tons of things you can do. There's tons of things outside. Am I supposed to do everything? I mean, and, and how do I figure that out? You ever asked yourself that question? How do I, how do I know that I'm, this is what God wants me to do? And I think so often we, we hesitate to, to take the step to, to get involved because I'm like, what if I get it wrong? And so is it, you know, is, is it like a feeling I get? Like is it this feeling? Is it something in my, in my gut? How do I know? We're going to unwrap this in the next four weeks. This is what we're going to talk about. We're going to look at it through the, the life of, of Jonah. And today I want to talk specifically in, in how do you discover that calling and how do you know this is what you're supposed to be doing. Let's go back to Jonah's story. Jonah 1 and verse 2. This is God talking to Jonah. He says this, get up and go. To the great city of Nineveh, announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. So Jonah has this personal purpose. His personal purpose is to go to the people of Nineveh. So, so what's your Nineveh? Like, what's your Nineveh? Where, where is God calling you to personally take the hope and the healing and the peace and the purpose of Jesus into the world? Because we all have. A Nineveh. We're all called and we all have a calling. Like it's not just reserved for the, the prophets like Jonah. It's not just reserved for the preachers like me. God is calling all of us to be leaders. Now, when I say leaders, right now I know that the majority of you say, okay, good. Whew. I thought you were talking about me for a minute, (laughs) because, good, this is for the leaders, this is not for me. Do you know that we are all called by God to lead? We're all called to lead. So often when I talk to people about leadership, the the number one answer I hear is, oh, I'm not a a leader. Oh, that's that's not me. And I think the reason is because we don't understand what leadership is, because we are all leading and you may not even know it. This is what leadership is, write this down. Leadership is influence. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less. Leadership is influence. Whether you realize it or not, you are actually influencing people around you. In your home, in your neighborhood, on the ball field, the campus that you're on, in your workplace, you're influencing people. And if you're influencing people, that means that you are leading. And we are either influencing this world or the world is influencing us. Influence is a funny thing. People who think they're not leaders are leaders. 
I, I saw this on display just uh, last week. I went and hung out with uh, one of our core groups, and uh, Larry Snowbarger was having his birthday, and the, the group invited Laura and I to come hang out and have barbecue, and they were making hot dogs and hamburgers and had a swim party, and it was just so much fun. I love our core groups, and Nellie Martin is a leader. Nellie, wave. There's Nellie, and Nellie would, Nellie would instantly tell you, I'm sorry, why did you mention my name? When you're talking about leadership, because the man sitting next to me, Mike, is he's the leader. Mike's the leader, and I'm not the leader. I, I beg to differ, Nellie, because I was at that party. And I watched first that she organized the party, and she got everybody to her house for the party. Everybody showed up. Why did they show up? Because Nellie influenced them. What does Nellie do? She brings out a, a birthday cake. And when she brings out this birthday cake, immediately I'm like counting calories. I'm like, oh man, I've been trying so hard. I can't do this. I can't have cake. I can't have cake. Don't eat cake. Don't eat cake. Don't eat cake. Don't, you don't even like cake, Brad. You don't like cake. Don't eat cake. Don't eat cake. And what does Nellie do? She cuts up the cake. She starts handing it out. She comes around to me. She hands me a piece of cake. It's got cake and ice cream on it. What do I do as I look around and other people are eating? I start eating the cake. Why? Because I was influenced by Nellie. She handed me the cake. It's all Nellie. This body, Laura, this body, you get after Nellie. You talk to her about that. That's why I look the way I look. Why? Because she, she's an influencer. Like we are, all, we are all leaders. And one of the biggest problems in our world today is that followers of Jesus have stopped leading. We stopped leading, we stopped influencing this culture, and we wonder why, why is the world in the shape that it's in? It's because we've stopped leading, and we've let the world start leading. And, and not only have we let the world start leading, what's crazy is instead of influencing the world, has anybody noticed how much the world is influencing the church? Like influencing the people of the church? It's kind of frightening. Like We don't look a whole lot different anymore than the world talk like the world, we act like the world, we're jerks like the world at times, we're mean like the world, we say cruel things like the world, we do what the world does, we go where the world goes, we watch what the world watches, we eat what the world eats, we, we just, we are being influenced by the world. And the results are ugly, because not only is the world in trouble, but the church is in trouble. And it's time for all of us to step up and say, I'm a leader. Because you're doing a disservice to the call of God on your life when you say, I'm not a leader. Basically, when you say, I'm not a leader, what you're saying is, that's going to let the world lead. I'll just let them kind of handle it. And whatever they decide to do, I'll just go along with the flow of that. No, 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 no. God says, no, you're a leader. You're an influencer. I put you where I put you and placed you where I placed you so that you can be an influencer, so you can be a leader. Why? Because God is interested in the redemption of the world. So how, how do we discover our calling? How do we do that? If I'm supposed to be an influencer, how do I know where I'm supposed to exercise that influence? Like, where am I supposed to go? All right, I got a few words I want you to write down. Here's the first one I want you to write down. Prompting. Write down the word prompting. Every calling begins with a prompting. By the way, these three words, I'm going to give you three words today, and, I, and I'm telling you, this, everything I'm giving you today is so practical, it's, it's like, it is so good, it is so helpful, it is so tested, I'm every time in my life that I've tested these three things, and these three things have happened, I can't really remember a time that I was wrong in what I was supposed to do. 
So if you write these down, I'm telling you, the next time you get this impression to do something, you can run it through these three filters, and you'll be able to figure it out. The first one is prompting. Now look back at the life of Jonah. Jonah, God called Jonah. He said, get up and go. Turn to somebody and tell them, you got to get up and you got to go. Get up and go. He said, get up and go. In, in other words, there was a prompting that came. Now, what's interesting about Jonah is that we don't know how that prompting came about. And we don't know if it was the audible voice of God. It doesn't tell us that. We think it was, and we like to think that way, but we don't know that. We don't know if it was something inside his spirit, the spirit of God talking to his spirit, and suddenly he felt prompted to go. We don't know if it was an angel that appeared to him. We don't, we don't know if he, he was reading the scriptures one day, and something jumped out at him, and he felt this, this prompting to go. We, don't know if it, we just don't know why he got this prompting. We just know he did. And this is the thing about promptings. Promptings can come from anywhere at any time, and can involve anything. Promptings are, are, are just, they, it's like you suddenly, you find yourself thinking about a need. You're like, I wasn't thinking about that three seconds ago, but now all of a sudden I'm thinking about that need. But then you take it one step further than just thinking about that need, because we all think about needs, okay? That doesn't, that's not a prompting, just thinking about a need. There's needs everywhere. It's thinking about the need, and then taking it a step further, thinking about what I can do to help meet that need. That's how you know you got, the, you got the makings of a prompting right there. It's like all, all of a sudden, like you're at, you're at the store and you're doing your, mind your own business, going grocery shopping or, or doing the little back-to-school supplies, and you walk by the backpacks, and all of a sudden you just think, man, wow, you know, those are nice. Man, there's a lot of kids that need backpacks. Man, there's a lot of kids. You know, and they have the backpack drives, but man, they just I, just, I just keep hearing there's not enough backpacks. I wonder, how can we get more backpacks to kids? And, and how can we need... And, it's a prompting. All of a sudden, you have this, this prompting. Sometimes you, it, it can just simply come from a friend. A friend is talking about something, and they're talking about some cause that they're involved in, and you're like, man, they're, they're helping out with, with this area in the city, and I, I, wonder, I wonder how I could get involved with that. I wonder, I wonder how I could help with that. Promptings come from all over the place. You can, you can be at a park, and, and, and suddenly you're with your kids, but then you see a single mom unloading three kids all by herself, and you know she's single, and, and you just, I don't know how you know she's single, but maybe you would, but you see a mom, I just, I just thought about that, how would you know she's single, but like, let's say you see a mom, let me say it this way, let me say it this way, and I'll say it different in second service, you see a mom, so it just suddenly didn't make sense, see a mom, she gets out of her van, she's got three kids, you don't know if she's married or not, right, and she starts walking towards the swing set, swing set. next thing you know, you're thinking about, I wonder if she's single, I wonder who's helping her, I wonder if her husband's around. Man, single moms, they have it tough. Man, they've got it tough. How are they making it? I wonder what I could do. Could I help that? I wonder, could I help that lady? Maybe I should help that lady. Maybe, what could I do to help single moms? Man, you know, there's been a bunch of mass shootings in our, in our, in our, um, uh, in our, in our country in the last week, and, and maybe you thought about that, and then you start thinking about, man, what about those families? What about, who's helping those families? And what could, what could I do? How could I? These are all promptings that, that you have. I mean, it, they can come from anywhere. You're in the workplace, and, and you're just minding your own business, and something pops up on your computer, and the next thing you know, you're thinking about, man, I was man, I wonder if I could, I wonder if I could foster. I don't know. If, could I foster? I, maybe, how could I? Man, there's a foster care. And she, you're just thinking about this needs. Comes from anywhere. You could be watching Downton Abbey. Next thing you know, no. No promptings ever come from Downton Abbey. <laughs> ever. You would never get a prompting there. But there are promptings, and they, and they come from all over. God prompted Jonah to go to Nineveh. Why? 
Because Nineveh wasn't going to come to Jonah. And Nineveh was not going to fix itself. That's why God prompts us to go and get involved. Because the world is not going to come to us. And the world is not going to fix itself. We got to get up and we've got to go. Come on, high five three people around you. Tell them, get up and go. Get up and go. Not right now, a little later. As soon as we conclude, that's when you can go. So the first one, there we go. One leaving all right there. He said, I could go. I'm out right now. All right. I'm just messing with you, girl. All right, so number one, prompting. Here's the second one I want you to write down, people. Number one is prompting. Number two is people. Your calling will involve people. Your calling will involve people. God God wasn't calling uh, Jonah to the city of Nineveh. This wasn't about the city of Nineveh. This was about the people of Nineveh. God God wanted to save a people. Your, Your calling isn't for you. Your calling isn't for you. Your calling is for other people. Your calling is to be given away. And it's so easy to get that flipped around and make that calling about me. And you think as a pastor, that'd be something I'd never struggle with. But can I tell you that that's something that preachers, let me pull back the curtain just a little bit. That's something preachers struggle with. Get up on a stage, your whole call on your life is to help people make a difference in your life and in your life and your life and your life and your life, help you find Jesus, be a good dad, be a good mom. So easy, though, to get that reversed when suddenly people are showing up because you're speaking. They're showing up and they're, and they're, they're laughing when you tell a joke. They're leaning in when you, when you start to talk about something and they're coming up to you and they're giving you the attaboys and it's real easy It's real easy to walk out and suddenly, instead of it being about the cause of Christ and other people, it becomes about me. This is why in my Bible, if if I showed you the inside of my Bible right here, I have all these different sayings on the inside of my Bible. And there's not a service where I don't come out here that I don't open it up and I don't look at this because I have to be reminded. I have to be reminded that God has called me to preach, not perform. That, that you're not here because I'm special. I, I'm here because you are special. One of, one of my favorite notes in all my Bible is something I, I printed out from a biography by Phineas F. Brzee, the founder of our movement. And somebody saw him in the 1800s. He was pastoring, and somebody saw him kneeling down in the straw before he was going to pray at a tent revival, and they overheard him say, God, keep Brzee out of the way. And I kneel backstage, and I say every Sunday before I walk out, God, keep Brad out of the way. God, keep Brad out of the way. It's so easy to fall into the pit of pride. And it can happen to all of us. I think the prayer that we should all pray is, God, keep me out of the way. Because it can't just, doesn't just happen to preachers, but it happens to even those, some of you. you. You deal with this just serving in ministry here in the church. You signed up, you got involved, and you're making a difference, but then you're like, it's kind of what people notice me. You know where I'm serving, right? And you know what I'm doing, and suddenly it's not about the people, it becomes about me. You go out and you serve a cause in our city, and you go to make a difference, and you, and you go to take a picture because you want people to know what's happening in our city, and then suddenly you realize, I'm not in the picture, so you kind of slide over and make sure you're in the picture. And there's nothing wrong with being in a picture, by the way. 
What's your motive being in the picture? Is it so people will see the need, or is it so that they'll see you meeting the need? It's, it's so easy to, to fall into that pit of pride. See, if, if, what, you're, if what you're thinking about, if what you're thinking about is, is all about you, it's, it's not a calling, it's a craving. Because it's got to be about other people. So it's about promptings, it's about people. Here's the third word I want you to write down, persistent. It will be persistent. It will be persistent. Your calling will be persistent. Jonah, I love this. Jonah ran from God, but no matter where he ran, there was, there was God. And, and, and he was constantly thinking about it. He got on, on the boat, he ran from God, and, and he was talking to the sailors, and they're like, what are you doing, dude? And he's like, oh, I'm running from God. I'm supposed to be going to Nineveh. He could not stop thinking about it. That's how you'll know. Not only will you get a prompting, not only will it be about other people, but you will not be able to stop thinking about it. Like, you'll wake up in the middle of the night, and there it is. You'll be on your campus, and there it is. You'll be sitting at work, or putting your hand to the plow, at work, and there it is, wherever you are. Suddenly that, that call, that prompting is coming up over and over and again. Now, let me warn you on this, and let me say this to you, that if you don't act on that in time, that calling will become fainter and fainter and fainter and fainter. The calling won't go away. And the reason it becomes fainter is not because God removes the calling, but because your own desires are drowning out in the call of God, and you'll no longer hear it. Answer the call of God. So it says this in verse 3, Jonah got up and he went, Jonah got up and he went in what? The opposite direction. Jonah's like, God wants me to go that way. I'll be going this way, God. So he takes off. He goes in the opposite direction to, this is what I love, get away from the Lord. Now, to show you him getting away from the Lord, here's a map, okay? Look at this map. Okay, Nineveh, 550 miles away from where he was taken off. Tarshish. 2,500 miles. This dude is running and running and running as far as he can get away from God. Now, before we dog on Jonah, because that's what we do, man, I can't believe he ran from God, you have to understand the people of Nineveh. I've done the research on this, and these people, wicked, evil, vile, are not words strong enough to talk about how horrific these people were. You can look it up later if you want, because I, I just... The things they did were so despicable. I honestly, I, if I mentioned it from the stage, it would just shock you. You would just it, beyond shock. Like, things that are sick and detestable. And they were doing this to the Israelites. They were the enemy of the Israelites. So God's asking Jonah to go to that group of people. Write this down. Your calling won't be convenient. Your calling. It won't be convenient. Whatever God calls you to do may not make sense. You may not want to do it. And it might even be painful. It won't be easy. I, I was just thinking about a, just a small prompting that God gave me the other day. We had some brand new neighbors moved into our uh, two doors down from us. And, and uh, Laura and I were coming home, and, and I saw that they had their moving truck. And it was 8.30 at night, and, and they had their moving truck. And and I was going to try to get in my bike riding because I'd eaten cake and ice cream at Nelly's, so I needed to ride my bike. 
And so I'm like, I'm going to get in uh, late night. I'm going to run out, ride my bike. And as I run out to ride my bike, the neighbors, the new neighbors are outside. And my first initial thought was, dang it. Because I was wanting to ride my bike, okay? And I was like, okay, I need to be a good neighbor. I need to go meet them. And I legitimately wanted to meet them because there's nothing worse than moving into a neighborhood and your neighbors blow you off. That's just so rude. And I'm like, I'm not going to be that neighbor. So I'm going to go over and say hi to them. So I go over, I introduce myself, talk to them, all this, everything. And I notice they get the back of the truck up and I go, oh, you guys getting some stuff out for the night? And he goes, nope, we're unloading it tonight. I'm sorry, what'd you say? <laughs> we're unloading it tonight. So who's unloading it? Oh, me and my wife, me and my wife, we're going to unload it tonight. You and your wife are going to unload this tonight? Yep, that's what we're going to do, man. We load it up, we're going to unload it. And this is what I did. Wow, well, hey, nice to meet you. And I left. I walked off. Oh, don't judge me, people. Do not judge me. I ran 2,500 miles in the other direction. I I made... I, I was like, ah, because the lowest thing I like to do is help people move. That is the one thing I can't, I just don't like. And so I go and I get my bike and I go to start riding my bike and I ride, I ride out of the driveway and I've got a flat tire on my bike. <laughs> really? So I real, put my bike back up, and I'm arguing with God. And I don't want to help them move, blah, 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 and they'll, they aren't going to hate me because I don't help them move in. Blah, blah, blah. And, and then, so then I do this. So do I go help them? No. I didn't go help them. I went in. I said, hey, Laura, you want to go walk the dog? She's like, I would love to walk the dog. So we go out. We start to walk the dog. And, and, and I figure, and we come around, and we're walking up the street. There's that truck. And God's like, are you going to do what I told you to do? Are you going to do what I told you to do? What are you gonna do with the right attitude? I'm not gonna do with the right attitude, but I'm gonna do it. Just want me to do it. Don't judge me. You all have done this. I was like, there's no way this guy should unload this truck with just him and his wife. That's ridiculous. And uh, so I said, all right, and put my bike up, didn't say anything to Laura. She went in the house, and I just walked right over and said, hey, how can I help you? You know, we had that truck unloaded in less than an hour. Less than an hour. I got to know my neighbor, we laughed. Helped him know that, man, he just didn't have to do this all by himself. Walked away. So that's the, that was the right thing to do. Here's the thing I know about a calling. Not only is it calling, is it not convenient, but, it, but your calling is also God is, is testing your obedience. He wants to know will you be obedient. So what he'll do is he'll send a smaller calling to see if you'll be obedient. Because if you aren't faithful and obedient to the small calling, you'll never be faithful to the big one. And God will send these small ones and he'll say, will you do this and you do that, then he will trust you with more. So the crazy thing is that God sends a storm. God, God sent the storm. Okay, let that sink in for a moment. God sent the storm, but he sent the storm to get Jonah's attention. Because Jonah wasn't paying attention. Did you hear it earlier in the story when I, when I was reading it? Ship was in trouble, it's sinking, and Jonah is asleep. Like, he, he is sleeping. Listen, this is what God will do. God will send storms into your life to wake you up to the needs around you. Yeah, God will. It is time that we in the church stop blaming the devil for every storm. 
It's wrong. It's ridiculous. We need to stop every single storm. Oh, devil's attacking me. Devil's after me. And truth is, maybe the devil is after you. Maybe that is true. And if you're moving in the way of God, I can tell you, he will come after you. But guess what? Sometimes it's your own doing, right? Sometimes I caused the storm. And sometimes God sends the storm. He sends the storm. He sends the flat tire to get your attention like he, he sent the, the storm to Jonah. Why? Because so often we have become so self-absorbed. We've become so self-absorbed that we've fallen asleep and God will send a storm to wake you up to the needs around you. We're so self-absorbed. We don't hear the needs. We don't think about the needs. We have no feelings of compassion towards any wrongs that are happening in our world today. I like what the captain of the ship said. The captain of the ship was not a follower of God. He followed a different God, and he said this. How can you sleep at a time like this? How can you sleep at a time like this? We cannot afford to sleep at a time like this. Nevermore has the world needed you. Nevermore has the world needed me. So what's your ship? What, where is it that you are running from God? Maybe God's put a call on you, but you've been running from it, and it's becoming fainter and fainter, but again, you're starting to hear that again. Where is it that you're asleep in your life? Where is it that you're sleeping that you need to awaken the passions that God has for you? Where is it that God might be calling you? Where have you become comfortable? Where it's like, yeah, I mean, come on. Somebody will handle that. Or maybe a need comes by and you don't even think about it being met. God is calling all of us to wake up. Wake up to what's happening in our world like he has a calling on your life. We are all called and we all have a calling. Listen, he's, God doesn't do these things to make your life miserable. Now, this is crazy. Society in the world many times says no to God because they're like, God's just got a bunch of rules and he's just trying to ruin my life. You know what's craziest? Followers of Jesus have started to believe that. This is the craziest theology ever. Oh, uh, well, God, you know, he just wants to make you miserable. Hopefully I'll get into heaven. No, God's not trying to make you miserable by awakening you to a call. This is so inconvenient. I don't want to do this. Got to help my neighbor. I got to go help this. I got to foster a child. Are you kidding me? That's going to cost me so much. Oh, I've got to go help the homeless people. Oh, I got to volunteer in the church. Oh, my goodness. And it just seems like it's so inconvenient. It's so difficult. God, it's just, I don't have the time to do that. I'm tired. And all these things, like God is somehow prompting you because he wants to make you miserable. God is not doing it to make, your, make you miserable. He's doing it because he wants your life to be significant. He wants your life to matter. He wants you to have purpose and meaning so that one day when you stand before him and you give an account that you'll look back at your life and he will say, good job. And you'll look back at your life and you'll say, so glad I answered that call. But it's not just something that is awaiting us for eternity, but I believe it's something you can do at the end of a day, that when you put your head on the pillow at the end of the day, you can say, man, 
this day wasn't about me. I did good today. I helped somebody today. Man, I was significant and I mattered in the life of someone today. I think about that with some of the big things that God's asked me to do in my life, but I also think about that in some of the small things that God has asked me to do in my life. Because that night, the number one motivator for me to go help my neighbor was that I knew at the end of the night I was going to kneel by the side of my bed, I was going to read a psalm like I do every night, and I was going to walk back through the good of my day, and I was going to give God thanks for that. And I knew that when I kneeled by the side of my bed, all God would have been prompting me on and talking to me about was how I missed an opportunity to do good and help my neighbor, and I didn't want that to be my story. And I'm so glad that in that moment, I cast aside my selfish desires, my tiredness, my back was hurting, I needed to go to bed, I had already, I had five other things I had to do before I went to bed, I had a 4.30 a.m. wake-up call, every reason not to do it. Went back to the house, 9.30, had some things I had to get done, had to be done, it was 12.30 before I went to bed that night because of this thing I had done, and But when I kneeled by my bedside, and it was the next day, I smiled. Because I knew, at least for that day, I had obeyed the prompting of God. I had answered the call of God. That's what I desire for you.